0: and I confessed I really felt that I was blessed Plus I love my uniform So did the boy who lived next door But something changed When I became of age And all those things I thought were true Someday I'd break the big time.
1: And welcome to Free Thought Forum, or Free Thought Radio Hour. My name is Larry Rhodes, or Doubter Five. And in this show we'll be talking about atheism and free thought, rational thought, humanism and the sciences. And we'll also be talking about religion, religious faith, uh, gods, holy books, and superstition. Despite what Steve Martin would have you think, there are a lot of atheist songs and you'll be hearing some of them right here on this program. We'll also be talking about the atheist and rationalist groups that exist right here in Knoxville, and how you can connect with them. Also, I don't know if you know it or not, but there's an atheist TV call-in television show or call-in television show. It's on public access TV, but you can see it on Comcast channel twelve. Is that right? Comcast channel twelve, and it's on every Tuesday at five o'clock. And, uh, you can also listen to it, um, online at ctvnox.org. But first, I promised you some music, and here we are, and to start things off, we'll go with Sarah McLaughlin and her song, Dear God.
0: Starving on their feet Cause it don't
1: And that was Sarah McLaughlin. Dear God. Um, now on to the topic of the show uh, is truth with a capital T and the religious claim to that truth. Um, generally, I've found that religious people um, are pretty easy with uh, the truth. In other words, they, uh, they don't have a problem lying to preserve the fiction that they own the truth with a capital T. If you're a Christian, answer me this. Would you lie to protect Christianity? If you're a Muslim, uh, would you lie to protect Muslim, um, Islam? Uh, even if you answered no, would you make the same claim about your preacher, whose respect, livelihood, and trust all come from the religion being the truth with a capital T? I made up a joke last year which goes like this. What's the difference between a lawyer and a preacher? The answer is you pay a lawyer to lie for you. You pay a preacher apparently to lie to you. The upshot of this is that in all likelihood you're being lied to by your preacher. Why? To keep you in the pew, to keep your tithes coming, to keep you doing the things that he tells you to do. What would happen to his flock if it came out that he was that he was preaching? or what he was preaching was false. What would happen if you found out that he knew it was false, but that he was preaching anyway? And that's the case with about 700 current and former religious professionals uh, enrolled in the Clergy Project. These are people who are preachers or clergy who no longer believe that the Gospels of whichever religion that they're teaching is true. They don't believe in God anymore. However, if they lost their position as preacher or clergy, um, they would lose not only their income, but might lose their family, their friends, and the society that they're used to. They may, in some cases, even lose their home if they're being put up by other people in the clergy or in the um, congregation. And they could lose their job if if uh, they have another outside job that depends on them being religious. Some companies are more and more religious these days and require people to support the religion to hire and keep them. Anyway, um, there's 31 countries in the clergy project, but the breakdown is mainly Canada and America. Uh, with America having 517 people in the Clergy Project, uh, the Americans in the Clergy Project mostly comes from the South. 30 in Florida, 21 from um, Tennessee, 28 from Texas, and a whopping 58 from California. You may actually know someone who's no longer a believer but is still preaching in order to keep his job, friends, and family who otherwise would reject him outright if they knew that he was not in the fold anymore. Let's take another break for a song, and when we come back, we'll continue with the topic Lying to Preserve the Illusion that Your Religion Owns the Truth, with a capital T. Here's a song that was originally written for the memory of Martin Luther King to depict his struggle with the mountain of racism in America and his uh, work against it. I'd like to repurpose it for the struggle we non-believers have with the mountain of religion, superstition, and woo that non-believers of every color have to face every day in America. It's Patty Griffith's Up to the Mountain.
0: i went up to the mountain Cause you asked
2: me to up over the clouds
0: to where the sky
2: was blue. I could see
0: all around me. I could see all around
2: Everywhere
0: Sometimes I feel like I've never been nothing but time
2: And i be worried
0: Day.
1: Five WZO Radio 103.9 FM, broadcasting from Knoxville, Tennessee, in low power. Uh, excuse me.
3: Why are we here?
1: Uh, you can also listen to uh, our from? radio station online at WZO These Radio These are the most com. enduring
3: of questions.
1: And back to our It's a
3: story that we wouldn't be able to tell were it not man for the one thing really that connects brilliant. us oh, vividly brilliant. to our vast cosmos light. Through light, we can stare back across the entire history of the universe and discover how it all began. See, those ancient beams of light and messages from the distant past, and they carry with them the story. story of the origin of the universe. Gaze up to the night sky, Capture the light and read the story of the universe. Isn't it a wonderful thing? We are part of the universe. Isn't it a wonderful thing? The story of the universe is our
2: story.
1: The story of the universe is our story. Carry the word God for me is nothing more than the wave
3: the wave, the wave, the wave light. All of, the of light. All colors of the rainbow, colors of the rainbow. Wave after the wave and wave of light. All colors of the rainbow, colors of the rainbow. Light can transport us to the past, world. and we have become virtual time travelers. We will be okay.
1: Night, dark darker, darker. By the universe fades into view. It came with the caption Night, dark and
3: darker, dark darker, dark and darker, darker, and darker, 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 and darker, dark and darker, and vast, swirling galaxies. Oh, the These waves of light messages from across the cosmos.
1: And through them, we have discovered the wonders. Yeah. All right. I, I had st- stopped it, but apparently I double-tapped it and it started again. So thanks yeah, okay. thanks for letting me know that. I appreciate it. Yeah, maybe just see a stop on it and, mm-hmm. uh, Okay, great. Thank you. Bye-bye. Sorry about that. Um, I did find it and stop it, hopefully, so we'll be good. Uh, I don't know if I need to start over again, but I will, at least with this part of it. Uh, Here is a direct quote from Albert Einstein. It says, The word God for me is nothing more than the expression and product of human weaknesses. The Bible, a collection of honorable but still primitive legends, which are nevertheless pretty childish. No interpretation, no matter how subtle, can change this. And what's funny was, well, let me go on and read the rest of this, uh, what I've written here for today's show, and then we'll talk about it in there. Um, the, the name of my article that I've posted online and put in my book, uh, Atheism, What's It All About?, The name of the article is Hijacking Einstein and Lying for Religion. On Facebook recently, I saw a YouTube video posted by a Middle Eastern Muslim about Einstein. It came with the caption, Albert Einstein, God don't create evil. Sick. And pictured Einstein as a young boy who questioned his teacher about the existence of God. In classic apologetic style, the video represents a young Einstein confronting the typically rude professor to testify for the existence of God. The payoff line, which of course shuts up the professor, is evil as the result of what happens when man does not have God in his heart. A totally unsupported claim about God's existence from a lad of about eight. This insight although it is supposedly came from the incredibly smart Albert Einstein, is hijacked by this Muslim, apparently because it would carry much weight with the infidels. I'm surprised that a Muslim would resort to quoting a, a Jewish boy to support their cause, given their anti the usual anti-Semitic slander. That's a pretty big concession when you think about it. I mean, to give them credit for a high thought to give him credit for high thought. Could it be a measure of their level of desperation in defense of their religion? I'm sure it's only because of the high respect that an average person has for Einstein, that the fact that he was supporting their position on God's existence, that they resorted to it at all. However, what's funny is whether, no matter if it was a Christian or a Muslim, quoting Einstein to support their contention that God is real. They would also have to turn around and say, well, he's also going to hell because he's not a Christian or a Muslim. So it's funny that they would use them to support their position when he is, in fact, an infidel. When I was a child, I believed as a child. I even believed in Santa Claus, the Easter buddy, and the tooth fairy for one time. Um, However, like Einstein, when I grew up, I realized that those beliefs were unfounded and not at all reasonable. The smallest examination into these beliefs resulted in their undoing. And like Einstein in his adulthood, I no longer believed in a personal God. When Einstein occasionally mentioned God in his talks, he was, one, not talking about Jesus or Allah. He was, after all, a Jew. And two, he was really just referring to nature or the universe. He certainly did not believe in a personal God or a God that has a will or is involved in our lives in any way. At one point in his life, Einstein prickled at the many lies that religious people told about his religious beliefs, claiming him among their believing brethren like the above-mentioned video. He famously said in a 1954 letter to an atheist friend, it was, of course, a lie what you read about my religious convictions, a lie which is being systematically repeated. I do not believe in a personal God, and I've never denied this, but have expressed it clearly. If something is in me which is, can be called religious, then it is the unbounded admiration for the structure of the universe, uh, world. I think he said, so far as our science can reveal it. Now, this is from Albert Einstein, The Human Side, edited by Helen Dukas and Banish Hoffman. But how could he put it any plainer than that? I know that the tenets of Islam give Muslims permission to lie if it is in defense of Islam. It's it's a uh, tenet called takia. But if you have to lie to protect your religion, is it a really a religion worth protecting? Let's talk about what religious people say to preserve their faith. Um, first of all, they present straw man arguments about non-believers. Uh, let's talk about a straw man argument. A straw man argument is when you take your opponent's argument and you twist it so that it looks ridiculous or looks false and then present that argument as their argument so that it's easier for you to defeat. Um, one such argument is, uh, uh say, I'm trying to think, Kurt Cameron and I can't remember the other guy's name, putting that um, uh, crocoduck out. They have a picture with the head of a crocodile and the body of a duck and say, look at this. This is what eight, uh, evolutionists believe. But it's not what we believe. Evolution it says that there's no way that a, a, a large lizard would give um, birth to a half lizard, half bird. I mean, that's not going to happen. Um, Lizards, alligators always give birth to alligators. Ducks always give birth to ducks. No exception. Now, they may be slightly different genetically than their parent. Every child is slightly different than their parent. But there's not going to be anything like uh, regressing halfway down the evolutionary trail to put two dissimilar species together. But they present that as the truth which makes them liars. Um, straw man arguments, uh, other than that, are like uh, labeling homosexuality as a choice. It's not a choice. It's in the person. It is the way that they are made. And if they're made in any particular way, uh, a religious person would have to concede that they were made by their God to be homosexual, if it's not a choice. So they create the strawman argument that homosexuality is a choice. So, two, they misrepresent bad things in the Bible that are not really bad as I'm sorry, as not being bad or actually good. Like Abraham being happy to kill his son for God. That's good? Question mark. I mean, if you hear a voice in your head say "Tell your kid, I mean kill your kid, you should question that voice. The answer is no. Now, if if you think your God is good anyway, and then you hear a voice telling you to kill your child, who in their right mind would think that this voice is from God? Because God is good, and the voice is telling you to murder somebody. But in the Bible, they tell us that uh, Abraham being happy to kill his son for this voice is a good thing. And that's not. They also tell us that the flood is a good thing that Jephthah sacrificing her daughter to a god for winning a battle is a good thing because god can do no wrong in their eyes and uh, god killing job's family is a good thing and the um, leasing the 10 plagues on egypt in other words anything god does is good that and that i don't know if that's you would consider that a lie but it's certainly not right they also lie about miracles. i personally heard about uh, from a friend saying that he had a friend that God regrew a limb for them and other miracles. But they never seem to come up with a verifiable name or paper confirming it. They also lie about us, about atheists. They say that we're immoral God-haters. And first, we can't hate a God if we don't believe there is a God. It would be like them saying that they hate Santa Claus. Why would you hate an imaginary being? Now, you might hate the concept, like uh, Voldemort. I didn't like Voldemort. He's real easy to hate in uh, Harry Potter books. But do I hate an, an imaginary character? No. Sorry. Um, and they said that we're immoral. Uh, that's a lie. We're more moral than believers because what we do, we do because what we believe, we do what we do because we believe it's right, not because we're told to do it. Um, We have more compassion and, and empathy for our fellow man simply because we're human, not because we've been told to have sympathy for them. Believers lie when they say they get their morals from the Bible, but then they pick and choose which moral lessons that they want to live by. In order to do that, they have to use a morality independent of the Bible to choose what they want to go by and what they don't. Think about it. If you got your morality from the Bible, wouldn't you still think that slavery was okay? There's nothing against slavery in the Bible, and much of it in the Bible says it's okay. Also, if you got your morality from the Bible, you would believe that it's okay to kill homosexuals. Do you really think we should round them up and kill them all? The Bible does, and if you got your morality from the Bible, you would think so, but you don't. You're using your own moral sense to pick and choose the things that you like and the things that you don't like in the Bible. That's an independent moral uh, venue. Um, If you think that we ought to pick up all the homosexuals and round them up and kill them, I'd say that that speaks much more about your mental state than it would any morals that you get from an old book. Let's take a break for a song. When we come back, we'll continue with this topic. Now we have Waves of Light. Um, you, you might wonder sometimes how we know so much about the universe when we've never been out there. Well, the answer is we we are connected to all the rest of the universe by waves of light. And this song um, explains a little bit more about that. Why are we here? Where do we come from?
3: These are the most enduring of questions. It's a story that we wouldn't be able to tell were it not for the one thing that connects us vividly to our vast cosmos. Light. Through light, we can stare back across the entire history of the universe and discover how it all began. See those ancient beams of light, are messengers from the distant past, and they carry with them a story, a story, the origin of the universe. Gaze up into the night sky, capture the light, and read the story of the universe. Isn't it a wonderful thing we are part of the universe? Isn't it a wonderful thing? The story of the universe is our story The story of the universe is our story Carried on waves of light Wave after wave after wave of light All colors of the rainbow, colors of the rainbow Wave after wave after wave of light All colors of the rainbow, colors of the rainbow Light can transport us to the past, and we have become virtual time travellers. Night falls, darker and darker, and the universe fades into view. Night falls, darker and darker, darker and darker. Stars, born in distant realms. Million worlds created by gravity, stars that shine with the light of a thousand suns, and vast swirling galaxies. These waves of light are messages from across the cosmos, and through them we have discovered the wonders of our galaxy, frozen in time. up into the night sky, capture the light, and read the story of the universe. Isn't it a wonderful thing, we are part of the universe, isn't it a wonderful thing, the story of the universe is our story, the story of the universe is our story, carried on waves of light. Wave after wave after wave of light, all colors of the rainbow, colors of the rainbow, wave after wave after wave of light, all colors of the rainbow, colors of the rainbow, billions and billions of suns, shining in the sky, the story of the universe, carried on
2: waves of light.
3: Up into the night sky, capture the light, and read the
2: story of the universe.
1: And you might think that we're just talking about taking a, a telescope and looking at the stars, but that's not the case. You can take the light from the stars and run it through a prism, and you see absorption lines and um, uh, generated lines of light that tell us an awful lot about what the um, the star is made of, the atmosphere of the star is made up, which direction it's going toward us or away from us, what speed it's going. It tells us an awful lot of stuff about the universe. <clears throat> this is WZO Radio 103.9 LPFM, Knoxville, Tennessee, and you can listen to us live streaming online at wozoradio.com. Okay, let's talk about the free thought groups that you might become familiar with here in Knoxville. Uh, first, there's the Atheist Society of Knoxville. Founded in 2002, and now has over 500 members, either active or on the mailing list. You can find it online at knoxvilleatheist.org. You can join them at their meetup in the old city every week. They meet for happy hour and food every Tuesday at Barley's Tap Room and Pizzeria. Everybody is welcome as long as you don't come to preach, proselytize, provoke, or punch. Thank you, Matt Dillahunty. Then there's the Rationalists of East Tennessee. They've been around for nearly 20 years, or actually over 20 years. RET has bi-monthly presentations, uh, bi-weekly, twice a month, and discussions at Pellissippi State Campus near the Hardin Valley Road. They meet the first and third Sundays at the Goins Administration Building, Cafeteria ask, Annex. I can never say that. Just follow the signs or go to the website, rationalist.org, and click on directions and the calendar to see what what's coming up. There's also the Sunday Assembly, which started in England just a couple of years ago and has spread around the world. It's a church where they don't... Uh, Praise God. It's a no-God church setting for those who've had enough of religion, and no longer believe, but still like the fellowship of a church-type gathering. And then there's the Secular Student Alliance, which has programs to give camaraderie and community to any free-thinking high school, college student, high school or college student, who would like to be involved with the free-thought movement or just find secular companionship in the Bible Belt it can be a pretty lonely place for a non-believer in in the South. Uh, let's go um, to a different uh, article along the same line that we were talking about. Um, the topic for our show is: Why do religions have to lie in order to maintain the fiction that they are that they represent and have? truth with a capital T. Uh the name of this article is unequivocal I'm sorry equivocation and obfuscation the tools of Christian apologists but it's actually the tools of all religious apologists. It was recently pre- presented to me that Jesus didn't mean that you could literally toss a mountain into the sea using faith even though that's what it said in Matthew and Mark. It was further submitted that this faith mentioned by Jesus is not the religious faith that we speak of today, that is, blind faith or believing without evidence. Um, In support of this contention, they shared a video by a Christian apologist named Greg Kuki, that's K-O-U-K-I, Greg says in his video that faith is not religious faith, nor blind faith, as the layman understand it, but it's actually trust, based on knowledge that comes from evidence, and the evidence he cites comes in the shape of a burning bush, uh, staffs turning into snakes, and biblical plagues, etc. It, it is typical of Christian apologetics to obfuscate what is plainly written in the Bible. You read a passage, and like the vast majority of Christians throughout the world, including preachers of the gospel, and then you absorb what it says, um, truthfully, I mean, plainly. When you, excuse me, then when you question its validity, or say that it is evil, an apologist will pop up and say, oh, it doesn't mean that, it means this. And then they'll give you 12 articles, two books, and a video to help convince you that it really doesn't mean that awful thing. It really means, insert new meaning here, and you can see that it really isn't evil. It's actually neutral or even beneficial. However, billions of people over the world understand that they must exercise faith to get into heaven. And the faith that they use is religious faith or blind faith. Indeed, when they are actively questioning their religious teachings, their preacher will often tell them, after he has gone through his usual arguments, that they just need to have faith in the biblical teachings, trust in God, and hope for the best. He's not saying that they have to have trust based on knowledge earned by evidence, as Greg Kuki would have us think. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what I have done, um, excuse me, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. Do the apologist really expect me to believe that he didn't mean that a mountain would actually physically move when it plainly says that? Consider that this passage in, this, in that book which routinely places miracles at our feet and asks us to marvel at them. Greg, another apologist, would have us believe that when the person who routinely violates natural laws and tells us that we can too, we shouldn't read it literally. Even if Greg Kuki, Kauki? it's K O U K I. It's weird. Anyway, even if Greg Kuki had convinced us of his premise. That would change what Jesus said to, Truly, I tell you, if you have trust based on knowledge gained by evidence, and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. You know that the mountain would still not move. Further, it is fairly apparent that the whole meaning behind Jesus' words is not to have faith and you can do do, uh, wondrous things. It is do not doubt. I mean, a religious, excuse me, exercise religious faith as we know it today, i.e, don't doubt, don't question um, what I or my proxies tell you, just accept it. Another example of what apologists try to twist what the Bible actually says into something more palatable is when God tells Adam that if he eats the fruit, he will die. I quote Genesis 2, 16 through 17. The Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree in the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you sh- will surely die. What could be more plain? It's a death threat for disobedience. Eat it and die immediately. But since they ate it, and they didn't die, it means that God lied to them. However, apologists can't have that. So they make up the story about spiritual dying. The Bible does not say anything about spiritual dying in the story. The words are plain, and we are told, sure it says that, but it didn't mean that. Other apologists say, excuse me, well, They did die eventually. If they hadn't eaten from the fruit, they would have lived forever. That's what he meant. However, the God plainly says that in the past, if they would die in the day, that they eat from it. And in Genesis 3.22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. That contradicts what that apologist would have us believe, in lieu of what it plainly says. At the same time, um, I'm sorry. At the time they ate the fruit, uh, the fruit, they weren't going to live forever. The Bible says no amount of apologetics will change that. We have to address uh, we have to address the word as it is understood by the average Christian. Allow no equivocation. And that's it. Uh, That is, equivocation and obfuscations are the tools of apologetics. Um, And you can find that in my book, What? I'm sorry. Atheism, What's It All About? Um, We said that we'd talk about the Knoxville Atheist Call-In TV show. Well, it's called free Thought Forum, and you can find it every Tuesday between 5 and 6, Comcast Channel 12, or Charter Channel 192. This has been going on in Knoxville for over five years. The archives, one of our, one of our uh, show's fans has been recording the shows and putting them up on YouTube. Um, you can find them by going and doing a search for free Thought Forum Knoxville. That's three words, not four, as free Thought is one word. Free Thought Forum, Knoxville. If you're interested in getting involved with the show, you can just come to an ask, ask meetup, that's Atheist Society of Knoxville, or to an RET meeting and talk to us about it. You could be our next TV co-host. And now I have another song queued up. Give my voice a break and you uh, treat. Hopefully you'll like it. This is um, a secular song. There's so many religious people out there saying that uh, uh, we don't have any songs, but every song that's not a religious song, not a hymn, is a secular song. It's not about religion. And this is one of them that I just happen to like a lot. So, because I can, here is Van Morrison, Reminds Me of You.
4: You're breaking into The says no But my soul demands it Everything I do Reminds me of you i am missed so much In this house full of shadows While the rain keeps pouring down My window too When will the pain Receive to the darkness From whence it has come And I'm feeling so good Ain't going down No more to the well Sometimes it feels like I'm going to hell Sometimes I'm knocking On your front door I don't have nothing to sell no more Seems like the spirit is pushing me onwards I went on the sea where well, I tripped and went wrong Just stuff to guess Well, my soul will find comfort But I miss you so much When I'm singing my song Nothing To sell No more you feel like my spirit Pushing me onward Though well, I'm able to see where I tripped when I went home Just have to guess Well, my soul won't get comfort. I miss you so much. When I'm singing my song. I miss you so much. I can't stand it. It Seems like my heart is breaking in two. My soul demands it And everything I do Reminds me of you Everything I do Reminds me of you Everything I do Reminds me of you
1: And we're back. A recent post on a Facebook philosophy blog asked the question, said that Christopher Mm -hmm. Hitchens famously said that that which is asserted without evidence can be dismissed uh, without evidence. No matter who. Do you believe that there are cases where someone should be respected for making assertions without evidence? Or do you think that those assertions should be given any credence? Discussed." And most of the posts that followed answered in the negative, that belief should be accompanied by evidence, else belief is not warranted. While I agreed with most of the posts there, that is, that you need evidence before believing something, the question was stated, do you believe that there are cases where someone should be respected for making assertions without evidence? And I had to consider instances where I might actually be warranted. I would think that a lot of it would depend on the person making the claim and the cost to you for believing or not believing that claim. Let's say your close friend tells you not to eat that apple in your hand and claim that it is poisoned with pesticides. You know that your friend is a farmer, the apple came from his farm, and he uses pesticides. He gives you no evidence, so that is a claim without evidence, but since he's a close friend, and has proved himself many times to have your best interest at heart, and is in a position to know such things, then you wouldn't eat the apple. It only costs you an apple, and not believing him could cost you your life. However, if he said you should never eat any fruit again because someone is out to get you, well, that action would cost you much pleasure and many essential nutrients for the rest of your life. You would very well you could very well uh, demand excellent evidence, say very good evidence for that claim before entertaining it, at least before you hire a full-time food taster. Now consider this. A close loved one tells you that you must believe in Jesus and accept him into your heart as your savior, or else you'll go to hell after you die. You might think that there's no cost to you and that you're avoiding excruciating pain for eternity, but really, the cost to you would be very substantial. That belief could potentially put you and your family in the power of a church hierarchy, cost you 10% of your earthly income. It could also persuade you to change your life's purpose to those decided on by the church. These effects would also last you for the rest of your life. All of this in order to avoid a possible afterlife when no one is in a position to know for sure what happens after death. Especially, especially so when there are other religions who claim just as passionately that you, that if you believe in Jesus, you're consigning yourself to their hell belief without evidence is never warranted, but if the costs are small and the benefits high, you might entertain some beliefs without much harm. But even in those cases, they should only be maintained until such time as they may be validated with whatever evidence you can find. If evidence should not come to hand, then it would behoove you to let those beliefs fall away. However, if the potential costs are large, and you can withhold belief without imminent harm, or at least until evidence is presented, then I would say do so. But be sure to find those costs. Don't ignore or minimize the real costs of believing without evidence. They can be quite substantial. Think about those young Muslim men who flew those planes into the Twin Towers and Pentagon. Do you think that when they were very young and being taught about the unconditional love of Allah and Muhammad, that they would have ever considered that their young lives might end up being the cost of their beliefs? Think about the followers of Jim Jones and David Koresh and Marshall Applewhite at Heaven's Gate. Think about Andrea Yates, who murdered her five small children to save them from growing up in sin and going to hell. Think about those people in the audience of faith healer Peter Popov when he told them to throw their prescription drugs upon the stage because they were all healed and didn't need them anymore. And think about all of the old and infirm people who routinely send what little money they have to televangelists to theoretically help them spread the gospel of Jesus Christ when really all they're doing is helping the evangelists live a lavish lifestyle while they do without The wilder the claim, the more and better evidence you should demand. Extraordinary claims do require extraordinary evidence. Look around you and ask yourselves, are there others who withhold belief without cost, or are they paying a high cost for their beliefs? And you might also ask, why churches try to convert children before they have the mental capacity to effectually evaluate these beliefs and their costs? belief without evidence has very real costs think evaluate and then decide you're going to be the one who has uh, you're going to be the one who will pay for your belief decisions be sh- sure to consider all the costs and now to close our show uh, get us close to the end i guess it will take us to the end uh This is a around-the-world song where uh, this person has gone around the world and recorded people all playing the same song, and he's put them together in a mixing room, and I think the result sounds really good. Uh, it's called Stand By Me, Playing for Change.
5: This song says, uh, No matter who you are, No matter where you go in your life, at some point you're going to need somebody to stand by you.